Good morning. How's everyone doing? Let's look at the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Did you all enjoy Christmas in July? Justice texted me and asked if we wanted to sing that this week since I mentioned it last week in, our, in my sermon. And I was like, let's do it. It's quite rich theology. Colossians 1, verse 24. <clears throat> now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully worked within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, freedom from sin and freedom to love you and to serve you, to be your vessels used by you, however you see fit, the the vessels of, of clay, Lord, the potter's clay. Lord, we want to be vessels that can receive whatever you pour into us. Pour into us today, Lord. Pour into us your love, your mercy, your truth, your righteousness, your grace. Pour into us your spirit to hear from you. Anoint now this service. May it be to your glory, God. We thank you for us being able to celebrate and sing with our voices. We thank you that we can come and dine with you, the one true God. And we thank you now for your word that we can hear preached. Uh, change us, Father, by your glory, by your strength, by your spirit. Amen. A preacher once titled his sermon, This is the Lord that the day has made. Think about it for a moment. This is the Lord that the day has made. And his point was that the pagan mindset of the world was being brought into the church. And here's the thing. Anything that takes away from the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, and the supremacy of Christ must be rejected. And the world has a whole lot to offer and all sorts of, of things from the world try to sneak in. Uh, in fact, I was just listening to a podcast recently 
<clears throat> and they're wanting um, to take the chat GPT. Are you all familiar with that? Okay. They're wanting to take the chat, chat GPT and have it make a religious text that would have divine authority. Yeah, seriously. <clears throat> because if it has all this access to knowledge, then the idea would be that it could come up with like the perfect religious text. I mean, but here's the thing. The chat GPT and AI in general, I mean, it's not autonomous. It doesn't operate in a vacuum. And, and if you have looked, when it, especially when it first rolled out a few months back, if you looked at some of the different queries that were given to chat GPT, it definitely has a bias. So it's given parameters in which to work, and there will always be someone feeding information and setting the boundaries. Um, and that person or persons will be the one acting as God, telling the AI right from wrong what it can and can't do. Here's the thing. People always want to replace God and his word. Anything to get out of obeying it and being subject to it. But the scripture repeatedly shows us one thing, solus Christus, Christ alone. Sinful hearts want anything but Christ. Sinful hearts want anything but Christ. Think before you got saved. Did you want Christ? No. And sinful hearts cry out for sin and more sin. I was uh, helping um, an elderly lady uh, the other day, <clears throat> and I was walking through her yard, and I, and I ste stepped in this big pile of dog poop. <clears throat> so much so that it just didn't get on the bottom of my shoe. It, like, you know, came up the sides. <clears throat> and so as I'm walking back and forth from my truck, like, every time I step, you know, I'm like, you know, scraping my foot to try to get, but it's on the side, so I'm like walking like this too, and like if anyone was looking at me, I'm sure I look like, like a, fool, a fool more than I usually do. Um, but, but that's how sin is. Like I could not get it off. I could not fully get it off, and I'm like, I'm going to get into my truck when I'm done, and my truck is going to smell like dog poop, and that's just gross. <clears throat> but, but sin gets, gets on us and, and in us, and, and it's hard to get off, and it's hard to get rid of. Because why? Because sin, it affects everything. And it's not just like in a box by itself. No, it completely affects us. And we can try and act like, like sin can be compartmentalized, like we can put it over here, over there. But the thing is, uh, that's not the case. So you can have a problem with pornography and you think, oh, that's, that's just my issue and that doesn't affect anyone. Well, I mean, that's nonsense. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It, it affects those around you. And it can be, uh, it can very easily not just affect those around you, it can actually infect those around you. So we must take away anything that mars the beauty and excellency of Christ's supremacy and our salvation. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church around the time of the Reformation and before that, it had devolved from the company of the saved to the salvation company. And so it became the dispenser of salvation. Do you want salvation? 
is through the Roman Catholic Church. How is that achieved? Through the sacraments. All the way from birth with baptism, a sacrament in the Roman Catholic Church, to death and the last rites being a sacrament. You needed each step of the way, matrimony, a sacrament in the Catholic Church. You needed the dispensing of salvation through the sacraments to you. Here's the thing. Luther and others came along and said the cross alone. The cross alone is our theology. And what does that mean? Well, it means it's about Jesus, and that's where we start, but that's not just where we start. That's where we end. Jesus and Jesus alone. And where is that cross theology found? I mean, it's found in the Bible. So the solus Christus leads us to the sola scriptura. And, you know, we want, we want glory without the cross. And we want salvation without the suffering. And we want heaven without the finished work of Christ. We want to fashion a Christ of our own choosing. And then we want to be able to make him into the image that we want him to be. That's what our sinful hearts want. And that's what we must reject. We want to fashion a Christ of our own choosing. Listen, each one of us could use more and more and more of Christ. The real Christ, the true Christ, the biblical Christ. And sometimes when it comes to us in our relationship with the Lord and us walking with him, it's almost like we, we treat Jesus like he's, he's radioactive. We've got to take him in small doses. You know, like you ever been to the dentist and they you know, put that giant whatever thing on you? So that not much of the radiation gets through and they're taking little little x-rays it's like too much of him can do great harm no we need more of christ we need more of christ and the the challenge is and the problem is is we want the jesus sometimes who ministers to the woman caught in adultery but we don't want the jesus who calls the religious leaders whitewashed tombs and we don't want the jesus who calls herod a fox we, we want the nice Jesus. We don't want the blunt Jesus. We want the kind Jesus. We don't want the straightforward Jesus. We want the compassionate Jesus, but we don't want the rebuking Jesus. Well, we, if you really want the real Jesus, you get all of Jesus. It's a package deal. So listen, <clears throat> Jesus and Jesus alone is the source of any spiritual knowledge worth having. And what we've been seeing in Colossians up to this point is it's not about emanations, it's not about demigods, it's not about for us chat GPT or anything else. Jesus and Jesus alone is the source of any spiritual knowledge worth having. And what we believe about Christ is everything. It shapes everything. It affects everything. Here's what one author said. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is eternal, without beginning and without end, that he always was continuing, if you believe that he is the creator of everything, every cosmic speck across trillions of light years of trackless space, the creator of the textures and shapes and colors which daily dazzle your eyes, if you believe that he is the sustainer of all creation, the force which is presently holding the atoms of your body, your town, this universe together, and that without him all would dissolve, if you believe that he is the mystery the incarnate reconciler who will one day reconcile the universe and redeem humanity to himself, if you believe that he is the lover of your soul, 
who loves you with a love bounded only by his infinitude, then despite the fact that life will be full of trouble, nothing much will go wrong. Your vision of Christ will quicken and shapen your life. What you believe about Christ makes all the difference in the world now and eternity. Amen? That really takes us to what Paul has as his second goal for the Colossians, and really by way of extension, his goal for us. His, his overall goal is to see us mature as believers, and that's what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. But one of the ways that we achieve that maturity, he tells us in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Colossians. He starts out in verse 1 talking about the great struggle that he's had for those at Laodicea, for the Colossians, and for all who haven't seen him face to face. But look what he says in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he wants them assured of faith. That's the part of the full assurance of understanding. But he also wants the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. He wants people growing in their faith. But notice, and this is the key. This is what I want you to take away from. Okay, you can tune out after this. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but I do want you to take this away. Right here, notice what is required if you want to have the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, notice what is required. It's the first part of verse 2. Being knit together in love. You have to have that. He prefaces the latter part with the first part. Their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. In other words, depth of understanding is facilitated when believers' hearts are bound together in love. Let me say that again. Depth of understanding is facilitated when believers' hearts are bound together in love. So you want to grow? You have to be in the company of other believers. That, that's God's word. Those aren't my words. That's God's words. Knit together in love. And when you're knit together in love, what happens? The riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. You grow. Our, our American identity fights so hard against this. It's so ingrained in us Americans, we don't even realize it. We don't need others. That's the mantra. We can do it our own. We forge the frontiers on our own, and we can forge our own lives right here in, in Missouri suburbia. I'll make it on my own. That's our banner Listen, that is so antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it so in, pervades and invades our culture, and we're so saturated with it, sometimes we just adopt that and we don't even realize it. One well-known theologian, F.F. F. Bruce, says this, Paul emphasizes that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. You want to grow in your faith? It comes in community. You want to grow in your relationship with God? It comes in unity with other believers. This is why the person who is divisive is such a danger. They disrupt the unity. They mess up the love. This is why the person who sows discord is such a danger. They mess up the love. They mess up the unity. This is why the person with unrepentant sin 
is such a danger. Here's the thing. When we're talking about the knowledge of God's mystery, there's the danger of intellectualism. Merely understanding something, merely knowing something intellectually will not bring full understanding of the mystery. There's three parts. When we talk about a saving faith, there's really three parts to it. There's the knowledge, there's the assent, and then the key is the trust. So this is why some people can appear to know the word, but not live it out. I mean, they got the knowledge. They got the knowledge. Listen, I know from my undergraduate degree, I know a lot about Hinduism. I can tell you all sorts of things about it. I've got a lot of knowledge about it. I've read books on it, written papers on it. I don't believe it's true. I don't believe it's true. And I don't, I don't trust in the Hindu gods, but I do have the knowledge of it. But there's no uh, what you might call assent. I'm not assenting to that knowledge being true. And I'm definitely not trusting. But what happens sometimes is you have someone who knows the word and, they, and, and acts like they believe it, but then has no real walk with the Lord. Everything is external. It's all for show. And it's disgusting, and it's hypocrisy. But these people work their way into churches and get into positions of influence because of their apparent knowledge, but they're not even fit for the position that they've been given. And they love their position, and they love their authority, and they love their influence more than they love God. They claim to know, they act like they know, but they don't know. It's not an inner reality. It's people who have the right answers, but don't know the right person, Jesus. That's why when, we, when you look at the qualifications for elders and pastors in the Bible, the qualifications aren't, oh, they make me feel good, or they have passion, or they make me laugh, or they're sincere, or they're real. No. What are the qualifications? It's about character. All of the qualifications for elders, except one, is on character. All the qualifications for deacons are on character. And the way to leadership is humility. And the way to leadership is brokenness. And the way to leadership is Christ-likeness. So if you don't see that in a person, guess what? They're not qualified for leadership in the church. This is why qualifications for elders and deacons, they don't list education or degrees as a requirement. Yes, they have to be able to defend the faith, but there's not a, you have to go to this institution or you have to have initials behind your name. I mean, think about uh, what Paul said. Look at Philippians 3 just for a moment. He starts out in verse 3, Philippians 3, 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he kind of rolls out uh, his accomplishments. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then look what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So, I mean, he's like, my genealogy... Like, who cares? My pedigree, meaningless. One author said this, This means that mere intellectual comprehension of the mystery of Christ will not bring full understanding of the mystery. For understanding also comes through the love of Christians one for another. How is this so? When we are loved by other believers, we experience Christ through them, and thus our knowledge of Christ is enhanced. The complementary side of this is that when we allow the Holy Spirit through us to live the life of Christ, and we experience this when we do acts of love toward members of the body of Christ, then, too, we have our knowledge of him enhanced. If we love, there are the full riches of complete understanding. So back in Colossians, you want to reach all the riches? You want to have the full riches of complete understanding? You need fellowship. You need unity. And some of you are like, oh, I could take it or leave it. But, but here's the thing, you don't understand. You don't understand. The Bible says you need it. So there might be many things that I think I don't need. There's a lot of things I don't want but the Bible says I need them and I need to do them. So then what, that's where it's like, are we going to fashion Christ into our image and how we want him to act and what we want him to say? Or are we going to submit unto the word and what it's telling us to do? So do you realize you need it? Maybe not. But do you need it? Well, I mean, the Bible says you do. So you need it. And if the Bible says you need it, you need it. And some of you are still like, uh, uh, I think I'm fine without it. But are you? Are you really? So, God wants our hearts encouraged. And back in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Here's the thing, the emphasis here is not on each individual person having his or her heart encouraged but collectively as the church. Collectively as the church, their hearts are encouraged. How does this happen? By love. The encouragement happens because they're knit together by love. And when you come to church each week, you see others worshiping, you see others serving. I mean, I'm encouraged by that. And you're in a church activity, and you know someone is dealing with something major, but they're still pressing on towards Jesus. Like, I'm encouraged by that. And, and I'll, I'll be on their team, and I'll pray for them, and I'll walk with them, and I'll help them. And, and you do too, right? 
This is why in First John, y'all ever read First John? This is why in First John, John talks about loving God and others, stating rather boldly and clearly that the two are intricately linked. Look at First John chapter two. First John 2, verse 10, uh, verse 9, sorry. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I remember when, when I was a young believer reading this, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, seriously? Like, this is pretty, pretty straightforward here. If you hate your brother, you're in the darkness. Okay? Darkness is not a good thing. And I started to recover from that verse, but then I came to chapter 3, the very next chapter, and look what he says. Verse 14, chapter 3, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. What's that love that he's talking about? The love for the brothers, right? I mean, that's what he just said, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Well, how, how can you love that which you're not around? Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And when I read that, then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you hate your brother, you got no eternal life. I mean, that's what it says. That's First John. You're like, well, pastor, there's justification by faith. Yeah, I know. And we believe that. But he's saying, it's not real in your life if you're hating your brother. You've not been justified by faith. And if that wasn't enough, he goes on one chapter later. 1 John 4. Verse 20, 1 John 4. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And by the time I got to chapter 4, I couldn't even say, whoa, whoa, whoa anymore. All right? I was just like on the floor in shock. So intricately linked is loving the brothers with loving God. That John's saying, you, you can't even separate them. You can't claim to love God and not love your brother. You're just a liar if that's the case. And we're not just talking about, like, a love in general. Like, it, you can love um, people that live in a country that you've never been to in, in more of an abstract way. But what uh, Colossians is even getting at and what First John is getting at was we're talking about concrete ways. What does James say? Oh, you see your brother in need, and you're like, oh, man, I hope it works out for you. That's not love. You got it, it, Love works itself out. Love has action. Love does something. 
And, you know, for the past month and the last few years, I mean, we've been hearing about, oh, love is love, right? Love is love. You know what 2 Samuel 13 says in verse 1? Why don't you turn there? Uh, 2 Samuel, sorry, 2 Samuel 13. Second Samuel 13, now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. I mean, it says right there he loved her, right? And what did he do? Then he raped her. But love is love. Love is love. No, love is not love. That was an ill-begotten love. It was a false love. It was a lustful love. It was an evil love, if such a thing exists. Is my love for steak the same as my love for my wife? Love is love. Is my love for my next-door neighbors the same as my love for my family? No. But love is love. Well, if love is love, then let's just say water is water, okay? And so we're going to shut down the uh, water fountain and simply use the water from the toilet when we want to drink. Because water is water. Well, not all water is good water, right? And not all love is biblical love. Are you hearing me? Listen, the gospel calls us to stand firm as believers. It calls us to speak the truth in love. It calls us to stand on truth. And whatever God calls us to do, we do it faithfully. And however God has fashioned us, we walk according to that fashion. So God calls women to be women. So women, act like women. Carry yourself as a woman. Proverbs 31 Who's supposed to be praised? A woman who fears the Lord. She's greatly to be praised. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So our creator takes great delight in his creation. And his design for you ladies was with much intent, focus, and purpose. He's an intentional designer. He doesn't do anything haphazardly. And the world will tell you, you must climb a corporate ladder in order to be a real woman. Don't buy the lie. God gives a real definition, meaning and calling for womanhood. You know, the feminist movement went off their tracks pretty early when it tried to get women to be like men. In all respects. I mean, that's like putting giant tractor tires on a bicycle. I mean, could you still ride? Yeah, sure. It's not going to be pretty. 
But now it's gone a step further. It's not get the women to be like men. I mean, that's failed. And, and even if you think about that for a moment, the, the very thing you're trying to accomplish, you're, you're, you're conceding the point by trying to accomplish that very thing. Meaning, you're saying that, oh, men think they're better, so we're going to try to be like men because we want to be better. Well, no. Men aren't better. Men aren't better. And you're, you're almost insulting yourself as a lady by trying to be a man because it's almost like you concede the point that the men are better. Therefore, I'll try to be like them. No. Be what God's called you to be. There's great beauty in womanhood. You know, if the feminists really were for women, they'd, they'd stand up for women regarding women, something as simple as women's sports. They can't even define what a woman is. But God gives great worth, all right? Made in the image of God, male and female. So what happens when we try to do things according to our ways? Well, we end up in all sorts of bad, bad theology. We end up with all sorts of false theology. We, all, we end up with bad thinking, and we end up with ideas that have serious consequences. We end up with convoluted and unbiblical ideas. Look back in Colossians. In verse 3 he says, In whom are hidden, talking about Christ, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We try to find the meaning of life in everything but Christ. Each one of us is probably guilty of that at some point. But where are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden? In Christ. And notice what it says. Not some of the treasures. All treasures. And what are those treasures? Wisdom and knowledge. Does higher education have the answer? Have the answer? No. We look everywhere, if we're not careful, but to the one person who has the very thing we need. Jesus. He tells us what our worth is. He speaks the truth about us. He declares what is right about us. He declares how by the Father's love and by Jesus' own sacrifice we are made right with God again. And yet we're willing to try a thousand different ways to get back to God. We're willing to do a, a thousand different things when our sin is, is just tapping on our heart and we've let it in and it soaks through us in our entirety, instead of going back to the Father, who is quick to forgive, we, we try a thousand different ways to fix things. God and God alone is the fixer. He is the one that can take care of whatever issues we might have, whatever our sin is. And he is a God who is quick to forgive. He is very merciful and gracious. So we look to the one who has the answers. And here's the textbook, right? You can even cheat if you want to. <laughs> the answers are right here. And our Heavenly Father has written this down for us. He is gracious and kind and compassionate. He doesn't want us getting off track. He wants us staying faithful to Him. And what's the path? It's the path of Jesus. I am the way. I am the way. There's one path. There's one path. 
And you have to be on the path of Jesus. Any other path, it's not going to be. It might, it, may, it might seem amazing. It might seem glorious. It might seem beautiful. It might be like smooth sailing. But if it's not the path of Jesus, the end is destruction. And I'd rather be on the worst of the worst of roads that leads to life than the easy path that leads to death. And I'd rather go through all sorts of trials in this life and go through all sorts of sufferings if the end, I'm with Jesus in his presence than the other option, separated from him for an eternity. Let's stand firm. Jesus is the one who has the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We don't have to look elsewhere. We've been blessed with the Savior who laid down his life for us. We've been blessed with the Heavenly Father who pours out his mercy and grace and righteousness upon us day after day after day after day after day. And we have a Holy Spirit who fills us so that we can walk in obedience. We can fulfill what Christ calls us to. We can be conformed to the image of his Son. Day by day by day, God is just sanctifying us a little bit more and more. Are you receiving that? Are you letting him grow you? Are you striving to grow? Because it's right here, found in Christ. So as we seek him, and we're in a community where we're loving, where we're truly loving, not in the abstract, but in concrete ways, we're lo loving brothers and sisters. We're actively showing that. We're, that I mean, think about it. That's why we've been given at least one spiritual gift. Not so we can just like parade it around and talk about how cool we are. No. For the benefit of others. Well, how can you use that gift if you're not around other people? Do you hear me? So we've gotten these giftings and these talents, and what are we supposed to do with them? Bless others with it. But what happens when we do that? Anyone who's, who's, who's <clears throat> been uh, shy or nervous or... or uh, hesitant to use their gift, but then steps out and does it. And, I mean, you talk to them later, and what happened? God blessed them, God grew them, God used them. I mean, that's, that's the reality of this verse coming into fruition. They're loving the brothers and sisters, and what does the Lord do? He's growing them. Closer, yeah, maybe closer to the brothers and sisters, but ultimately closer to him. So all this for God's glory. All this for his namesake. All this for Jesus and Jesus alone. Solus Christus. Let's pray. Father, we do say that it is you and you alone, and it is your son and him alone. We thank you that you're the one true God, that you have given us giftings to bless others with, that you do call us to community, that you want us walking encouraged, and that comes through loving others in community. Lord, I pray for those that that might be challenging for. It might be a thousand different reasons, Lord, but help them take that first step with community. The love, the, the biblical love of the body 
is a beautiful thing to experience. And may they experience it. And may we, Lord, display it at times imperfectly. Forgive us for that. But may we display it by your spirit, by your strength. May we display that love and show it to others and act it toward others. Continue to grow us closer to you, Lord, as we walk in obedience and do that and do these things for your glory. Amen.